0: Thank you everyone for joining us today and welcome to another episode of Inside Lyme, Ask the Lyme Doc. Today we'll be exploring COVID-19, Lyme disease and autonomic nervous system dysfunctions. Dr. Daniel Cameron will be discussing the case of a 64-year-old woman with a history of Lyme disease who was later diagnosed with the coronavirus and developed autonomic problems. Thank you for joining us Dr. Cameron to discuss this important topic. Can you tell us a little bit about what autonomic nervous system disorders refers to and what are some of the symptoms?
1: Well, I thought I'd start with what actually happened to this 60-year-old woman because she had dysautonomic or autonomic function problems. Pretty common in practice to feel like you have a successful treatment, a successful outcome, and then they end up being sick again. So she ended up three months later after treatment with headaches, disabling fatigue, brain fog, and mood lability. Now, that's pretty common in patients I see is that their immune system is so busy that pain is exaggerated, whether it's in the neck, the head, old injuries, those kind of problems. But in this case, in addition to all those symptoms that we see, there were two autonomic disorders. One of them is called small fiber neuropathy, that means that in her legs, she had a burning sensation and weakness. Now that's often diagnosed by a biopsy. She also had this thing called dizziness, brain fog and fatigue that they called orthostatic hyperperfusion syndrome. And this dizziness, oftentimes you hear that as POTS, you know, positional orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. That is they're dizzy, they're lightheaded when they move. And so with these autonomic issues, they did treat with rifampin, ceftiroxine, which we call it ceftin and ceftonir. She ended up um, still sick with these autonomic issues, so she improved over time with s- symptom treatment and physical therapy. So even though she was 60 years old and improved, The doctors also diagnosed post treatment Lyme disease syndrome, which implies that she had fatigue, pain, cognitive problems, and poor function. So, evidently, she was still sick. Otherwise, they wouldn't have called it post treatment Lyme disease syndrome.
0: And then, four years later, at age 64, she becomes um, infected with the coronavirus and develops additional autonomic. Issues,
1: correct? Yeah, she was uh, diagnosed not only with COVID, but COVID pneumonia. And at that point, they were treating with this hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, which is a controversial treatment anyway. Uh, Whether it works, is still uh, up in the air. She did improve to baseline, but baseline, of course, we just talked about was post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Just when she uh, was improving, uh, two weeks later, she started with new symptoms. Severe leg pain with burning at her feet and hands, twitching, vibration feelings, blurred vision, headaches, brain fog, forgetfulness, chronic fatigue, orthostatic dizziness, and urinary incontinence. Now, in this case, if you break all that big list down, is that she still had the orthostatic dizziness, that is when she moved. And uh, this was something she experienced when she had Lyme disease. She also had uh, brain fog and uh, urinary incontinence, which are common autonomic issues. And so um, she was diagnosed with autonomic disease, but they couldn't really do the a test of the nerves or a, test for autonomic uh, dysfunction using like a tilt table. So they just assumed that it was autonomic disease um, and they decided to treat with immunotherapy. In this case, there's something called intravenous immune globulin. And they said that uh, the leg pain, brain fog, urinary symptoms, and blurred vision improved, but she still had quite a few headaches and chronic fatigue issues. They only got to about 50% better. So the author said, well, all of those symptoms were COVID-19, and they're all evidence of autoimmunity.
0: So this raises a question of whether the autonomic problems were due to coronavirus or Lyme disease or, or both.
1: I had in my editor's note uh, question whether the autonomic dysfunction that was blamed on COVID-19 could have been from Lyme disease. You know, But remember that she had post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, which meant she was ill. And so when one tries to separate as a Lyme patient, autonomic issues, now you have a COVID patient with autonomic issues. I'm not so comfortable that autonomic issues are only from COVID in this case. The other thing is interesting is that I have a lot of Lyme patients where they wonder what will happen if they get COVID. In this case, there's always the question, did COVID with all of the immune issues, all of the cytokines that are out there, the cytokine storms, they may have pushed the same autonomic issues that she had uh, four years earlier when when she was 60. And so I think that that autonomic issues in her might have been around, and lingering around since uh, she had the Lyme disease. In my practice, um, I find autonomic issues are pretty common. And they're uh, something that, um, that I have to treat or manage in my practice all the time.
0: Can you tell the listeners, Dr. Cameron, what some of the most common symptoms of autonomic dysfunction may be?
1: Well, I find, you know, from somebody who is ill, how they see Lyme with autonomic issues is this immune system is so busy, so active. It's almost like the adrenaline, the fight or flight never slows down. And so one of the things you might see is they get lightheaded when they move or change positions. Uh, And that's why they call it POTS or orthostatic changes. But that same system appears to affect all the automatic things in the stomach and in the bladder. So it's pretty easy to see people with uh, stomach problems. They might have a nausea, uh, constipation, uh, diarrhea, kind of an irritable bowel feeling, loss of appetite, slowing of gastric content. And if you're a parent, and you have somebody with autonomic issues affecting the gut, that might be the first thing you see in a child. They may have unexplained stomach problems, they may be doubled over, they may not be eating, and you might have to ask more questions than just the stomach. Also, that automatic system appears to affect the bladder, so that might give you urinary frequency, more urination at night, urgency. You might have incontinence. might not be able to pee. You might hesitate. All those bladder things that you think are automatic are part of the autonomic nervous system. So that's why you get people who are lightheaded, stomach problems, and bladder problems. It also seems to affect the sexual dysfunction, like erection, vaginal dryness, and decreased libido, so that a whole system is a problem. So the woman the woman that we were just talking about, uh, she had uh, quite a few of these autonomic issues, but what's important is they're all tied together. You get an infection from a tick, the immune system responds to it, and it gives you all kinds of problems in the autonomic nervous system area.
0: Do you typically see these symptoms early on, or do they uh... Develop slowly over time the infection
1: or I don't see them uh, typically in the first uh, several weeks, like at the time they might get a rash or a bell's palsy. but you know within uh, a few weeks or a couple months uh, they'll start having autonomic issues, but it's not clear to the patient that they're all related you know, they'll be thinking I have bladder problems, maybe I should go to a urologist, uh, I should go to the gastroenterologist, get a uh, a scope or at least some kind of test. Uh, maybe I should take Prilosec for my stomach. Uh, then they go to the cardiologist for lightheadedness. Uh, and so they, um, they can't put it all together that it's kind of interrelated. What happens with autonomic issues is that they can kind of come as a bundle so that they might come as a wave and the doctor really didn't learn much about autonomic in medical school, and the doctor might not recognize that they're all interrelated, and they're all really an understated but important part of Lyme disease.
0: Now, you're speaking a lot here about referencing Lyme disease and autonomic dysfunctions, but do you see that with other tick-borne illnesses as well?
1: I I tend to refer to Lyme disease um, in a broader sense that instead of only the traditional spirochete is that it seems like the other co-infections, including Babesia, seem to act by triggering the immune system. And whenever you trigger that immune system, that immune system gets busy, active, and it touches on the autonomic nervous system.
0: Now, this woman was treated with IVIG for these, um, for these symptoms. What are your thoughts on using IVIG for?
1: Well, IVIG shows up whenever one thinks there's an immune uh, problem. This an intravenous immune globulin was also used in patients with PANDAS, if PANDAS is where strep causes a, a lot of neurologic problems, neuropsychiatric problems. And uh, in PANDAS, they, because that's uh, related to strep, they would treat with amoxicillin and then IVIG. IVIG has been used in small fiber issues. Uh, Dr. Katz used to talk about uh, the role of IVIG. I find that IVIG is fairly expensive. It's invasive. It is that I'd rather treat for a Lyme and all of the tick-borne illnesses before going to IVIG?
0: Is there a certain treatment protocol to address just these symptoms?
1: Well, for example, the hypotension, or at least lightheadedness, that you get when you move, is there's a there's medicines like Midodrine, which can seem to um, and, and help with that system, and FLORDAF is also a commonly used, and this combination can help the symptoms. I find that not every cardiologist is aware of autonomic issues, but a growing number are. They might try to measure that blood pressure and pulse response with a tilt table. That's a table you push the patient on, tilt it, and see what happens to the blood pressure and pulse. I find that some cardiologists are really quite interested in this subject, and there's even some POTS clinic around that are pushing a better understanding of this autonomic issue.
0: Great. Well, we've had uh, several questions come in from uh, listeners, so I'm going to ask some of those questions to you and see if we can address them. Andrea is asking, um, who, do, who do I see to treat tick-induced autonomic dysfunction?
1: Well, I think that you um, could see a doctor who's familiar with Lyme disease and co-infections uh, who is familiar with the autonomic dysfunction. Uh, sometimes, you know, you can go to any doctor that you, who's like your primary doctor, and by them treating the Lyme, the autonomic dysfunction will just get, a, get better with how they treat. I think that uh, some of my more complicated patients I'll see if they can find a cardiologist who's familiar with autonomic or a a POTS clinic where all they do is work on autonomic issues of the heart.
0: Now, Andrea is also asking, is it safe to get a vaccine if one is immunocompromised?
1: Well, I think every vaccine is different. And so, um, first of all, on immunocompromised, there's quite a few definitions of immunocompromised. Most uh, Lyme disease patients uh, feel sick. If they've been sick for a while, they feel immunocompromised, but it's a complicated answer because a lot of people with Lyme really have an overactive immune response. And so uh, when they take the vaccine, instead of immunocompromised, they actually have a robust, more active immune response to the vaccine. And so sometimes they will... uh, end up feeling worse when they take a vaccine. I tend to put off the vaccine for a few weeks until I get a chance to try to treat the Lyme disease first.
0: Great. Now, Todd is asking, is it safe to say that Lyme is the great activator of other chronic illnesses rather than imitator?
1: I think that ticks don't care who they bite. And if you already have a chronic illness or chronic immune problem, maybe a a rheumatologic problem is that I feel that Lyme disease can exaggerate that problem. The immune system can raise the, the neurotransmitters that control pain. It can raise uh, all the autonomic issues. And so it can exacerbate an underlying, you know, irritable bowel underlying bladder problem. And, uh, and so I think that it may not mimic something. It may just exacerbate an underlying problem.
0: Johnny's asking, can I prove I have autonomic dysfunction to doctors with something besides an EMG? So how would you typically test for this?
1: Well, I don't find that EMG is uh, helpful. It tells you something about neuropathy or motor function. Um, So it's it's probably not the best test for autonomic issues. That's why sometimes they'll do a small fiber biopsy in the leg. Uh, they'll, they will also do that tilt table I talked about looking for autonomic issues, um, which is that lightheadedness or change in blood pressure when they, they're on a tilt table. But I, I don't think that um, we have very many good tests yet to measure autonomic function and also to tell you when you're better from autonomic dysfunction.
0: Great. Now, Owen's... Talking a little bit about COVID-19, a question has come in. Have any of your Lyme disease patients uh, contracted COVID-19?
1: I have a number of patients that report in to me who they've had Lyme disease. And uh, then they call me to let them know they have COVID. I think that uh, you know it's frustrating to have two illnesses. Even if the Lyme disease is under control, they're worried about will Lyme disease come back In this case that we started with is that that six-year-old who had an autonomic dysfunction and a broad range of symptoms was left with post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. So one wonders, as she got COVID, as she had COVID pneumonia and got autonomic issues again, uh, what she was thinking and what the doctors were thinking. Um, But in my practice, the patients that I've been in touch with are uh, doing well, thank God. One of them was quite sick, uh, never got pneumonia, but she lost uh, a month of work. And then she had a recurrence and lost a month of work. Uh, but I haven't seen uh, the kind of problems that uh, that everyone is worried about uh, who's had Lyme in my practice. Now, maybe that someone has it and they're in an intensive care unit and not capable of calling me, but I'm still listening. I have uh, heard quite a bit from other doctors in the Lyme disease community, and it's certainly n- nobody likes COVID, but uh, it's just not standing out yet as, a, uh, as, as any more worse than COVID itself is. My concern after COVID 19 is that any symptoms are blamed on COVID. That's why they call it COVID long hauler. But I'm concerned that uh, they won't look a second time at Lyme disease. And this woman that we're talking about today is that one wonders, with that 64-year-old, would it have helped her symptoms if they had looked at Lyme disease and whether Lyme disease had exacerbated with the COVID pneumonia?
0: Well, it seems certainly um, helpful that the medical community is now seeing that COVID can induce these long-term symptoms. And kind of, in some cases, more severe neurologic illnesses. So you would wonder if the experience of the medical community now with COVID and seeing that the impact that that virus can have on an individual and having long-term effects may benefit Lyme patients. And they kind of see a similarity that, yes, a virus can trigger these long-term symptoms that, that are difficult to treat.
1: A good question uh, or a good comment because there's so much money being spent on COVID and so little spent on Lyme disease. So, we're hoping that almost like the Manhattan Project, that much money spent on COVID and all the problems I have with COVID will help us understand better the immune response. Uh, also, um, the hope is that uh, doctors will have a better understanding of long term problems. And this, just this case alone, when someone's reading it, hopefully it will familiarize themselves with, uh, with autonomic dysfunction, remind them that autonomic dysfunction comes from Lyme and from COVID. And uh, hopefully they'll, they'll be looking out for uh, complications of COVID in Lyme patients and not overlook Lyme disease patients.
0: And also that these uh, that these illnesses or these viruses and infections can trigger neuropsychiatric conditions in patients.
1: Well, I, I think that even though we've talked today about autonomic dysfunction with the lightheaded stomach, bladder, and uh, we're, we're still uh, aware that Lyme disease triggers the immune system in many other ways. So it's often the fight or flight type adrenaline that makes one exhausted, that same um, immune response seems to turn up every neurotransmitters for mood. So that means the irritability, irritability button goes up, the anxiety, the sadness, the despair is often evident. The pain I told you earlier was exaggerated in this kind of situation because that's part of the sensory system. The whole sensory systems turned to high, so all the neurotransmitters that affect senses is turned, turned up. And with all that adrenaline and all that fight or flight, people are tend to be tired, wired, they're not sleeping very well, and by the time you throw in all of those systems turned on by Lyme disease, people can't concentrate or focus. There's just so much autonomic issues are off, so much uh, neuro, neuropsych issues and sensory. They all add up and they're pretty tough to live with.
0: Well, it looks like we're running out of time here. So thank you so much again for speaking on this uh, very important topic. And I'm sure we'll be discussing, discussing it more in the near future.
1: Thank you so much, Darlene.
0: Thank you, everyone. Have a good night.